Parenting is a full-time job, and providing effective support for today's teens can be challenging. The Parent Engage 360 podcast aims to provide connections and information from experts in the fields of chemical health, mental health, internet safety, and more. It's a comprehensive view on parenting, provided in a personal, convenient format. Tune in to today's episode of the Parent Engage 360 podcast series. Hi, everyone. This is Liz Burgard, Parent Involvement Coordinator. Thanks for joining us today for an informative conversation with Merv Lapus, Vice President, Outreach and National Partnerships for Common Sense Education. We're going to dive into the topic of internet safety. Merv, thanks for joining us today. Hey, nice to be here with you, Liz. It's always great to, while one, just kind of see that there are others who also see that this is a valuable conversation to have and to share, but then even more so just to be able to really bring this out to your families and hopefully be a supportive resource for them. So I'm super excited to chat with you and learn more about you and your work. So to start out, can you give us an overview or tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you to where you are today at Common Sense Education? Sure. Yeah. So I've been with the organization for about 10 years now, um, but I have about 20 years of experience working in the ed tech field, working with how education and technology can help us identify really opportunities for learning for kids. I primarily did that looking at curriculum and resources that can help uncover kind of uh, the building blocks of English language arts and math for learning for kids. Mm -hmm. And in that work, worked really closely with school districts around professional development and training and getting them on board and rolling out technology. And the hard part with that was, you know, it was a for-profit company. So those effective relationships and training were all great, um, but that was always measured by a bottom line. And then I found common sense. And the whole focus was do the same kind of work in terms of partnering with schools and empowering them and building them up to be successful. But your bottom line is around professional development support and ensuring that they feel confident in how they're bringing technology into schools. And I was like, oh, this is the best thing ever. (laughs) I've always had a love for technology. Meant to be. For sure. Um, And I have two kids that grew up in my time. My common sense are seven and nine. So they've literally been common sense babies with me. So um, I continue to be reinvested into the work because it directly connects to who I am as a father, uh, which is great. But doing so, you know, with the organization, I started off by working on the ground in charge of Northern California primarily before uh, kind of taking what I've learned in that direct school work with districts and counties and states to now overseeing the work that we do with schools around the country, as well as the national partnerships that we engage with to ensure that we are working with all schools, all families, and all communities. Because we do know that technology isn't necessarily accessible to all families as much as we would like it to be. But we know that technology plays some kind of role in everyone's lives now because it is so ubiquitous. And so my goal is to not just work with schools to be able to deliver this content directly to students and to kids and through the families they support, but also the community groups that are directly supporting these families and make sure that the conversation is just as ubiquitous as the technology that is in the lives of these kids and families. I think that's a really good point to say that technology is everywhere, right? Like maybe not everyone has the same access to it, but technology is part of our world and part of our society. And now that you're a parent, you also get to watch your children grow up in a technology society and what does that look like for them and kind of shape the work that they're going to have as they grow up as humans as well. Knowing that, can you give us like an elevator pitch or a little bit more about common sense and kind of the work that common sense does throughout the country? Sure. Yeah. Happy to. So common sense, we are a national nonprofit 
organization and dedicated to improving the lives of kids and families as they navigate media and technology in their lives. And we want to do so by providing high quality information, guidance, and support so that families and educators and communities can really make more informed decisions around how technology plays a role in their lives. And we do that in three primary ways. We rate, educate, and advocate. Got it. So a lot of families know Common Sense Media, uh, which is where you can go and look at ratings and evaluations around all media types like movies, books, games, uh, TV shows, websites, and really get a sense around like how much bad language is here. Like, Are the characters representative of the community I grew up in? Uh, what are the particular types of attitudes that I should be aware of? to spawn these types of conversations with your family, depending on the media you allow for them to consume or want to expose them to. And then on the education side, which is where I spend a lot of my time, is how do we really empower schools and school communities to really provide, one, a confident space for learning with media and technology. So digital citizenship is a huge part of that, as well as, again, also rating and evaluating, but through the perspective of what is good for learning in school. And privacy-wise, are they misusing our student data and content as we use these particular tools. So we want to get all of that available for educators and for administrators so that they can build their capacity mm-hmm. for technology being used more effectively. And then lastly, I mentioned advocacy, which is Kids Action, that arm of the organization really is looking at legislation and looking at policies that are really more kid partisan. How does this support kids and our learning? That's all under the umbrella of common sense, as well as the research that common sense does to help inform the direction for everything we create. Is it representative of the needs of our communities? Is it thinking about and looking at how much technology is flowing into our schools, into our homes? What does that impact potentially mean for kids' early childhood to you know 8 to 12 to 13 to 18? Forever. <laughs> Correct. Exactly. Just knowing that technology is such a big part of our society now, and when I was in school, it was a part of the work, but it wasn't the central part of my curriculum that kind of led to my learning. Knowing that it is such a huge part of all that students do right now, especially our students in the hybrid learning model. And so they're on the computer using technology for their classes and then also for their own personal use, um, watching TV or have some alone time or some downtime. Knowing this and that students have a lot of tech exposure and are on the internet quite a bit these days for both school and personal use, are you seeing any behaviors or trends that students are displaying that are concerning, especially in regards to internet safety? Sure. Well, I think one thing, so we can look at safety in two ways. One, there's the safety of just the student, so the whole child and thinking about the student's well-being. And then there's the actual also aspect of safety, such as privacy and security and also exposure to content. So I would say that one of the big things during especially this pandemic that parents are really afraid or fearful of is just the amount of time they're spending on it. So balance and screen time. So one is just recognizing that not all screen time is equal, right? There's passive screen time where you're just kind of sitting there and not necessarily engaging with the content. And then there is effective active screen time. Right. Um, so with your youngest ones, if they're watching a show or on a particular app or tool, as a parent, How do you extend what they learned into the real world? Mm -hmm. I love that. How do you extend what they learned into a book, right? So you can be active with something that was initially passive, right? So that type of screen time can be manipulated for ongoing learning. As you age up, we do know that there's a lot of kind of self kind of driven learning that's happening online or the Zoom classes or classroom, classroom uh, classes, whatever that might be. So that additional time when you can find the moments to just kind of break off and not have to be on another meeting, 
those are solid. Those are opportunities to really kind of disconnect and then do something that's active. Even if it's going on a virtual field trip, you're still using the technology, but you're doing something different and you're engaging with it. So that's one thing. But, you know, with that exposure to just kind of like passive tech or social media or other places where, you know, your kid or yourself might find yourself gravitating after a classroom is done, um, we're finding that that is increasing as well. So the messages coming out of social media, the, the images, those are all things that families are concerned with and, you know, that, that there is a rise in that exposure. And even in the over, like OTT, over-the-top streaming services, you know, if you're watching Netflix all day or you're watching, <laughs> you know, uh, whatever uh, OTT service you might have, you're finding that kids are getting exposure to other types of content that maybe they weren't watching before. Um, so parents need to take an active step in getting a sense of what are the kids engaging with, why are they engaging with it, and how could they help address those issues. I, I would say largely, though, I mean, kids kids know when someone's being creepy. Kids know when people are being mean. But if you only surround yourself in this kind of filter bubble of information and content that comes your way, then that's when you start to see the blurring of knowing what's being mean and what's you know rhetoric. Um, or even just kind of like, what's drama? Sometimes they diminish, oh, that's people just being dramatic. Um, well, that's just drama online when, you know, those things start to kind of scaffold up, you know, potentially or spiral down. So, you know, it is important for parents to have an active eye, um, an active presence in understanding kind of how their kids are feeling, what they're finding themselves into. And I think really important for families is not just go into it where it's, if you do this, that's it, it's gone, um, or I'm taking you off of it. And more so, I know you're going to run into something that might feel awkward or make you feel uncomfortable. It's more, you're going to get into more trouble by not telling me than telling me. Like, I, right. I, it's, it's more important for me that we have a discussion around it versus you hiding it. That's when it becomes a problem. Right. But if you're coming to me and we're able to kind of talk these things out and really get a sense of what it means to see this type of stuff, and I, I can prepare you to address issues that might, you know, fall into your lap because of the way the internet works, you know, that's that's where we need to be. That's where parents and our kids need to be, is that that area. What I'm hearing you say is to be proactive as a parent, to know that things are gonna happen. Kids can't live in a bubble, even though we want them to that things are going to happen. And so what are ways that we can teach them or encourage them to have those kind of awkward or hard conversations ahead of time to say, this is going to happen. Let's talk about it instead of hiding it. Because I always feel like parents always seem to find out at some point, whether it's beforehand or after. For sure. Yeah. Uh, it'll either translate into the attitudes of kids changing. It'll come to you from another parent because right. so-and-so told <laughs> so-and-so that your kid, and then it's like, not my kid. Yeah, and not then it's mine. like, oh, well, <laughs> you know, maybe we should talk about these things for sure. Knowing that kids are online and sometimes, like you said, they do know when things are uncomfortable or make them uncomfortable. But are, do you have any ways that students can protect themselves online, knowing that sometimes we share a lot of information about ourselves with people that don't actually know us? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it is important. That's why this this concept of digital citizenship is so important to talk about with our kids in school and at home. I think one, as a parent, you need to understand your relationship with media and technology. I will say that parents are huge role models and kids are very quick to call it hypocrisy. <laughs> right. it, oftentimes, you know, we'll, parents will tell them that they're spending too much time and then they're scrolling on their own Instagram <laughs> feed or their own Facebook feed, right? Yes. 
you know, I'm a parent. I've done it too. I've done that too, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think that's one is just kind of knowing your relationship with it. And then two is getting a sense of kind of the, the types of platforms that your kids are really interested in and why. I think that, you know, something that I've heard a lot is like, you know, parents get really irritated with their kids spending a lot of the time just kind of watching YouTube videos or videos of kids playing video games all day long. Like, why are you just spending your time watching these folks? And I tell parents all the time, why do you spend all this time watching, you know, home remake shows? Like you're not building a whole new bathroom or kitchen. You're watching it all day. Kids are doing essentially their version of it, right? But it is important to know that the kinds of platforms you are engaging with, that means you're sharing pictures or sharing information. Like, what does that mean? How far does that go out? And what's your intention, right, of why you want to share these things? I completely understand wanting to be able to share with your friends what you've been up to, because this is the only place you can connect now, right? So how do you balance that with, you know, recognizing that there are certain things we don't want others to know, because this particular profile is a public profile. This one is protected by who your friends are at. So you might share a little bit more because you've curated trusted list of people versus a platform like TikTok, which just gets elevated without your control. It's important to know that this can go viral. And is that what you want to be known for? So knowing your relationship to it, and then knowing how it works, you know, are going to be incredibly important to help, you know, define what is appropriate and not appropriate to share. And, you know, your intent, really, like, what do you intend for this, you know, to do or be for you? If it was just you wanted to be silly, Fine. But if you wanted to be silly to the point now where that being silly affects the way that colleges see you or potential employers see you or your grandma sees you, then you need to think about that. Right. I really appreciate that because like you had mentioned earlier, just having that conversation that things are going to happen. And I also don't think that when we're using our social media or using the Internet, we always think about long term implications and or why am I using a particular tool and what is going to be the outcome? And I think that's also really a great point to have conversations with your kid about that too. Yeah. I mean, I think it is also important though to recognize that, you know, our kids are being exposed to so many of these content creators, right? So YouTubers and TikTokers and Instagram followers, and they're getting very quick and fast notoriety. And it makes it seem like it's within their grasp. Oh, I can do that too. As to what purpose, like a lot of these things are paid content. Oftentimes you don't know that, right? They're sponsorships. Um, it seems like easy money, but what does that teach you as a long-term, like that easy money comes and goes real quick Right. as a parent, you know, how do you hustle? I, I get it. How do you find a hustle to help things maintain, but you need to be rooted in something that'll give you long lasting opportunities, right? So that's a whole nother kind of engagement for parents to have in there. But recognizing that because content is being created fast without forethought, just for the sake of clicks, what are you willing then to sacrifice in terms of being more provocative, saying things that maybe you don't buy into, but you're doing it for the sake of what more views? How does that affect you? And how does that affect your standing? What does that disposition mean to you? What is your purpose? Right? And these are awkward and weird conversations sometimes to have with your kids. But if you don't have them, then they're going to depend on the people they know, which oftentimes is someone that they've never met in person, but is someone they saw online. Right. So how do you make yourself more important and prevalent? You may not be the one they think is the super coolest person, but they know they can rely on you. And it's not that you're going to take everything away, but that you're going to help guide them through the right path and find that medium that makes sense for you and your family. 
And I think along with that too, if they make sure to keep their information private, if it's things about themselves, and then also if they have passwords, not sharing that information with people online, even though they think they're their friends, but some of that information is things that they need to keep for themselves or share with their parents versus for everyone to know. (laughs) For sure. 100%. And, you know, I think what's, you know, the fallacy there is like, we assume that everyone knows that. Right. And the reality is it's not, it's very easy. It's very easy to share. And it's very easy to, you know, inadvertently release that information because, you know, they've done studies like, oh, most males passwords will probably be of a woman in their life or a, <laughs> or a loved one in their life. Right. Or, a, and then for a lot of, you know, women, it might be other things or it's one, two, three, four, right. Or, or password. password. Like, right. yeah. So there are some of those, you don't even have to share it, but people already know. So those are things you're going to have to push yourself to kind of go against that grain. And I know it seems uh, so hard to memorize six or seven different passwords, but the implications of not changing it means a lot in regards to having, you know, your accounts being hijacked and then misrepresenting who you are, even your own data and what that means with your future of your finances. I mean, kids, social security numbers and information are probably the gold mine for folks that are trying to take information because you're not checking it as a youth. Right. So now I've got all these years to do what I want with your information and data. So, you know, it's not something that kids want to think about, but it's something they should understand or know about. And parents too, right? Oh, for sure. Like you didn't necessarily want to have that conversation with your child, but now you are. Yeah. Common Sense is the nation's leading nonprofit organization dedicated to improving the lives of all kids and families by providing the trustworthy information, education, and independent voice they need to thrive in the 21st century. They advocate for all families to have access to safe media outlets and aim to provide resources that benefit all communities. Check out the resource links in the episode description to learn more. We're talking about students and some things that students can do to protect themselves. Can you give us some tips or ideas of ways that parents can monitor and protect their children in regards to internet safety? Sure. I mean, so I think just recognizing right now that being online um, and having access to these tools online, it means opening up a lot of possibilities to exposure to things that our kids may not be prepared for, right? Developmentally, you know, our kids might think that they're more prepared for something until they see it. And so I think as parents, we do need to think about how we look at the physical filters as well as kind of the mental filters that we need to prepare our kids for. So obviously, there's types of content that you may not want your kids to be exposed to too early, especially if they're younger. So you're looking at pornography, you're looking at uh, issues with violence, things like that. And so, you know, setting up some of those filters, even with on your own smartphones, there are ways that you can set up things that you already have in hand that live within that platform. So whether it's an iPhone or an Android phone, there are certain things that you can do as a parent to kind of set that up for your child and for for yourself. Same, especially if you're a parent who's sharing your smartphone with a child for their lessons in school or for entertainment. Um, But then also if you're running off of a network, getting a good baseline insight into how you adjust your firewalls or your network to shield from certain types of content could be very important. You can find some of those resources just on the commonsensemedia.org site to kind of walk you through some of those ways you can look at those platforms. Um, so those are going to be important and there's tons of tools out there. So I, you know, I'm not going to say, Oh, buy this product. I mean, there's so many products out there doing that. You'll have to find the one that makes the best sense for you. 
In the long run, though, I mean, as you do that, you still have to protect the most important filter, and that's the one in between their ears. How do they really understand and build out how to make decisions around these things? Because reality is, even for our teenagers and our oldest kids, we think about uh, understanding the long-term ethical consequences of the decisions we make online. That all happens in your prefrontal cortex. So now we're getting a little into biology here. So as we think about processing and long-term and those effects, that happens in the prefrontal cortex. The last area to develop in any human's brain is the prefrontal cortex. Right. And so we're looking at you know young women from 18 to 23, 24, men 21 to 25. And so it's like, if we don't recognize that some of the decisions we make have long-term consequences, then we need to start building those habits of mind in now. How do we get kids to stop to reflect and really think critically about how we want technology to play a role in our lives? And that means practice. So addressing these issues all the time with their kids, doing so in school, doing this at home, doing so yourself, and making it normal. So when I take a picture of my girls, I ask them, I'm like, I'd love to share this picture. Do I have your permission? And seven and nine, and they're like, you can share that one with our aunts and uncles, but I don't want you to post (laughs) that. And I say, you know what? All good. So we need to give them the language and we need to give them the space to think critically about ownership of their image, around their personalities, the things that they don't want to put out there. And the more we give them that experience, the more we give them that language, the more they can be empowered to own that and the direction that it goes. With distance learning, I was a proud dad and I was also a worried parent where kids were filming the chat in order to post it on their TikTok. And my daughter had to say, you know what? I don't give you permission to use my image. And as a dad, I was like, Way to go. oh man, she used, <laughs> yeah, she used her language. She yeah. owned her ownership there. But then also as a parent, I'm like, why is this happening? The teacher should know that, you know, these kids shouldn't be recording yeah. the screens for a TikTok video. So <laughs> that's how it is. <laughs> that's the world we're living in right now and will be for a very long time. So I think it's really important to have those conversations with our children. And then also I, I appreciate giving them the language and the tools to know what they are comfortable with for themselves. If they are in a situation, even in their classroom or in their personal life with their friends. And I also think the point about your prefrontal cortex that it's not fully formed for a long time into your 20s or your 30s is a really good point to remember that even when I have a six and an eight-year-old, when I'm having a conversation with them, a lot of times the things that we're having a conversation about, they maybe don't understand and won't understand for a long time. So it's not a one and done conversation, but you may have to do it over and over and have the same conversation say it in a different way, For sure. have my significant other say it, mm-hmm. um, that it's a conversation that you're going to have for many years. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It is something that you should be having these conversations all the time. And like you said, say it in different ways. Say it when you're driving, not necessarily when you're in front of a device because an issue came up, but have it just be part of the natural types of conversations you have, because that will allow for it to really then stick. If you just address it because you're responding to something, then it always becomes, oh, here comes mom again, or here comes dad again, or here comes (laughs) grandma or auntie, right? And same goes with the way that schools operate. You know, it's like, oh, now we're going to go online. Now you remember these ideas. And it's just more of it's a part of everything that we do. And so we need to make sure that we're always kind of reinforcing that and reminding it. And that allows us to empower kids to do more with it. And I also appreciate the thing you said earlier, too, about not just having the child watch it on their own, but as a parent or adult doing it with your child so that you actually understand if they're watching YouTube, what they're watching, then you kind of understand how videos are picked and the next thing they're watching. And then I've even found myself 
going down the rabbit hole, they're watching something to have the conversation to say, oops, I didn't know that you were watching that or we got to a video that's not appropriate for your age and here's why. And so we're going to find something different. What would you like? For sure. So I think that we've had to have both conversations a lot in our household too of we do something and then we do it together. And I realized like, well, we got to take a couple steps back and have a conversation about that and find something different. Yeah. I mean, I think it's not a simple thing to teach, but there's these things called dark patterns for parents, families, and just anyone who uses the internet to know that are built in into these platforms. Essentially, how can we keep your attention right. on our site? And they already know too, that when you present them with content that is pushing the envelope a little bit, you spend more time watching. So you can watch, you can search for the most simplest thing that just seems very easy and well within appropriateness. And after a few clicks and after an hour or so, it'll spiral down darker and darker. And it's made to do that. These are dark patterns. So more parents understand that, the more they can get their kids to you know, break up the experience so that they can own the experience, not have the experience on them. That's empowering real users of technology for opportunity versus letting it just kind of lead us into those rabbit holes. I know we've kind of talked a lot about this, but a lot of kids are more tech savvy than their parents or know how to do some workarounds. The parents set up some firewalls or they set up some privacy settings on their cell phone or on their computer. And kids know a lot. Kids (laughs) are very smart and have a high aptitude for technology. So are there any tips that you have for parents who maybe feel like, I don't even understand what a firewall is. Are there any simple tips or takeaways that you could give to parents who feel overwhelmed by the topic? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think one, setting them up, you know, can be important, especially if you know that your kid is way above where you're at. So (laughs) just because, you know, they can get around it doesn't mean you don't try at least. Yeah. But I think understanding why they're trying to get around it, what are they trying to get to, right? What is it that they don't have access to right now that they would like to get access to and for what purpose and what reason? that is more important than just knowing that they got around it, right? Like if it's something that is like, I'm not ready to talk to my teenager about, you know, pornography and these things, but they're really curious about what this means, then it's an opportunity to have these discussions as awkward as it is versus them just getting misguided information and experiences online, right? Same goes just with, again, different types of content they might be exposed to. I think that also just sets up the opportunity that as a parent, you're not parenting only when things go wrong. You're parenting as an opportunity to provide guidance when even you both are not sure where to go from here. I would also say that kids are really apt to show off that they know more than you. So if you say, hey, I know you could do this. I need your help. Walk me through how to do this. I know that you're really into this platform. Why is that? Show me about it. And doing so in a tone where it's really truly inquiry and not to be like, ha, I got you. If you're entering this conversation with, I got you, then that becomes a problem. They will never walk you through that. But if you come in with a real thirst for wanting to kind of learn how these things work and what it means to them and the way they use it, they're very apt to show you how to do these things. I know I found that even with doing distance learning, I kind of struggle sometimes to figure out how to get in the Google Classroom. And my eight-year-old's like, let me just show you how to do it. And then he does it in like three seconds and knows how to do it and is very proud that he knows more than me. (laughs) Totally. Totally. (laughs) What about also for parents, if they're curious kind of what their kids are looking at, is there a way to go back and look at search history or something like that? Yeah. So there are different programs and different tools that as a parent, you can literally monitor every single kind of click and point through. They're kind of like third-party tools that you have to connect onto your Wi-Fi or onto your own devices. 
some devices already do it. So you can look at screen time in your iPhones or even on Android, they've got their own version of it. So you can get a sense of what your kids are spending their time on. So it's kind of like a high level look, but then knowing how to look at history. So looking at cookies, looking at browser history, those are things that you can do as a parent. And again, some of these other tools allow you to connect secondarily to your Wi-Fi and then just kind of see what are all the devices doing on here, not just that they're connected, but also how are they being used. So some of those are available, just depending on kind of the level of insight that you feel like you might need to help direct where your kids are going. And I'd say those are probably kind of like the most entry level versions of it. I mean, if you get really techie and really into it, there are plenty for you parents out there that are really into that or feel like you need something with that kind of level of diving deep. But those are possible. I would say the one thing, though, is oftentimes that history, like a YouTube history, it's hard to find a YouTube history if there is not an account tied to it. Okay. So sometimes that browser history isn't recorded unless you have an account that's tracking it. Otherwise, it just looks like it's open. Also, just know that, you know, kids are getting savvy to using privacy searches, right? Where you can open up a search function for almost any browser that allows for you to do so that's not tracking your IP or your search. So Kids are getting wise to that. You know, you as parents or caregiver might find value in using them yourself, which know your kids are as well. (laughs) We're all learning together. Yeah. (laughs) Knowing that we are in either a distance learning model in a lot of our schools, or right now in a no canopy, we're in the hybrid model. And just knowing that technology is going to be a part of our children's lives for probably forever. Are there any tips or takeaways that you'd want to share as we wrap up our podcast today? Yeah. I mean, I think. What's really important is knowing that depending on kind of the level of severity, what's happening in your community where, you know, distance learning is either the primary way your kid's learning at home. And as a parent, you're also working from home, right? So, you know, Wide Open School is one of the other resources that Common Sense has created, which essentially is a learning portal that's free for all families. It's an opportunity to just diversify the learning for your child in support of what your teachers are already doing for them. So it's really supplemental or enriching, but it's looking at how do you bring more things like virtual field trips or bringing in like more music and arts and DIY stuff and even offline activities into the learning at home. It's a great way of exposing effective technology and effective media to your kids, especially if you feel like all they're getting is this exposure to passive and not anything that's active that they can learn from and use as kind of like a new jumping off point to something more innovative. It's a great resource for that. But pushing families to look for those types of resources where, you know, technology is something that kids are open and want to engage with. So how do you make that more active use of technology and not just kind of that passive passive watching or passive engagement? Exactly. Um, And then I would also say, take stock of your relationship. Because again, you know, kids are role modeling off of parents. And it's also hard for parents to be able to support their kids around these issues if they themselves are harboring their own, you know, challenges with the way that media technology plays a role in their lives or how they measure themselves and see themselves in their own footprint that they put out there. Thank you for those tips. I think that that is really an important point of just understanding our own personal relationship with media and technology, and then also how we can help our children to have safe relationships and understand what they're putting out there and the long-term implications for us all. I just want to say thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure chatting with you and learning a lot about internet safety and about common sense and common sense education and the good work that you guys are doing each day in all areas of education and legislatively to really support our families and our students to really help us to be the best people that we can. So thank you so much for your time today. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. And uh, 
we are all in this together. <laughs> so are. let's lead with grace and recognize that we as parents are doing our best. You guys are doing well. <laughs> as long as you're trying, you're doing well. And our educators are really fighting the good fight, really doing our best to get our kids learning, just depending on the situations that we find ourselves. So let's lean forward in support of each other because it really is about our kids growing up, feeling confident and feeling comfortable with all those making you know real opportunities for learning and change in their lives. So thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This resource is produced as a partnership between the Anoka Hennepin Parent Engagement Program and Student Services Department. Be sure to check out additional episodes in the Parent Engage 360 podcast series. For more information or to share feedback, visit ahschools.us slash parentengage360.